Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. If you would take your Bible, open it to Genesis chapter 6. We're looking at the Ark and the Covenant. The beauty of this word, it's a protection from danger and what looks like certain death. And this is the deliverance. See the word pitch in verse 14? That's the word kofer. It's transliterated into English, K-O-P-H-E-R. It means properly to cover, and it speaks of pitch or a resinous substance to caulk. Yom Kippur in English is the Day of Atonement, and Kippur is from the Hebrew word kafar, meaning to cover. So not only was the ark a means of salvation, but the word for the pitch is the word for atonement. And the boat was sealed with the pitch inside and out, and you and I are sealed by the blood of the Lamb. This word for pitch, reminding us of atonement, tells us that the ark becomes a picture of atonement. And it is, it is sealed. Just like the door of the Hebrews was sealed with the blood of the Passover lamb. And they had to apply the blood of the lamb like this to the doorpost and the lentil at the top of the door. And even that becomes a message of the cross. If I see the blood, I will pass over you and judgment will not hit your home. The word kafar literally means to cover the mouth. It's everything that God could say against us but he doesn't. He opened not his mouth. When Jesus was dying on the cross and when he was facing the cross, he could have, he could have responded. He could have uh, condemned the whole landscape and the whole human population, but he opened not his mouth. That's kafar to atone. To not say something when you could say something. To cover somebody by the righteousness of another. This is in essence, the first mention of atonement in the Bible, although in Genesis 3.21, we see that God made coverings for our first parents. But this is an ark of covering. It's protection from Almighty God. And that's exactly what happened. Psalm 32.7 says, You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. And Psalm 119.114 says, You are my hiding place and my shield. I wait for your word. Could you imagine after the flood started and Noah realized all that had happened, how grateful he must have been that he did it God's way? You know, the Bible says that there was only one door to the ark and God shut that door. I wonder if there were people outside saying, Noah, we've changed our mind. Let us into the ark. I'm sure Noah was very grateful that he obeyed God because he stepped onto an ark of salvation and his family stepped on it with him. And that's the greatest thing that we can do for our families. With all the other things that we can talk about, we must give our faith away. We must lead our families toward the ark of salvation. And this is the beautiful picture that emerges in the Bible. Corey Tim Boone, in her book, The Hiding Place, shared a story of hiding her Bible under her thin prison uniform. She asked God to hide her with, her with his angels from the Nazi guards and they didn't pay attention to her and let her walk right by with that Bible. There are plenty of uh, rooms in the ark and there's room in the ark for you. In my father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. There's room in the ark for you. Have you climbed aboard? Are you telling other people that there's salvation and hope in Jesus Christ? 
The Bible says in Colossians 3.3, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In other words, He's got you covered. We've all made mistakes. We've all, in, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And He's covered us in His righteousness. In fact, He's cleansed us from all sin. This is the beauty of the ark. There's a deeper picture to it. This is how you shall make it, says God to Noah. The length of the ark is to be 300 cubits. It's breadth, 50 cubits. It's a 6 to 1 ratio. Somebody's telling me after uh, first service that they found in uh, some of the early destroyers before uh, technology came a little bit more advanced that they followed a 6 to 1 ratio in the same way as Noah's Ark and they didn't even know that that was the ratio of Noah's Ark. We're just kind of catching up to God, in other words. They found that was the most stable design to fire weapons from a destroyer. So it's to be, uh, its breadth is to be 50 cubits and its height 30 cubits. A cubit is literally a forearm. So if you took a measurement from your elbow to the tip of your middle finger, that's a cubit. Scholars say that's roughly 18 inches, but to simplify it, if you've got the NIV, it says this is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. That's a big boat. It was as long as one and a half times a football field. So take a football field and take another half, and that's what you've got. That's the length of the ark. Jim, if you would put up that first slide. So here's a comparison. Of course, the ark was a wooden vessel. You've got the Santa Maria, the Wyoming, even the Cuddy Sark, uh, which I didn't bring up. But you've got Noah's ark, 500 feet long. You can see the Titanic up there. And then there's the Queen Mary. Of course, that's steel ship technology. But Noah's ark was an extremely long, wide, and very accommodating vessel. It yielded a displacement of about 43,000 tons. It contained enough space for approximately a total deck area of 95,700 square feet. Just to give you an idea, we're in a building that's 19,000 square feet total with all the space that we have to accommodate all the animals. Um, This is from Henry Morris. He says, The ark was a huge barge-like structure. According to God's instruction, the ark was to be designed for capacity and floating stability, rather than for speed and navigability. It can be shown hydrodynamically that a gigantic box of such dimension would be exceedingly stable, almost impossible to capsize. Even in a sea of gigantic waves, the ark could be tilted through any angle up to just short of 90 degrees and would immediately thereafter right itself again. Furthermore, it would tend to align itself parallel with the direction of a major wave advance and thus be subject to minimum pitching. The volumetric capacity of the ark was the capacity of 522 standard livestock cars, such as is used on American railroads. A total of over 125,000 sheep could have been carried on Noah's ark. If you go to the next slide, if you will, Jim, there's been people who have challenged the way the ark looked. The Bible, the description of the ark is really only here in Genesis 6, and all we've got is dimensions. We don't really have shape. So I remember there was a Christian scholar, he was debating an atheist, and this atheist was once a preacher, apparently, and he turned atheist, and he was challenging Noah's Ark, and he was saying, ah, the navigation wouldn't be that great, and the speed wouldn't be that great, and the Christian scholar responded, oh, Noah wasn't trying to go anywhere. He was just trying to float. There was nowhere to go, if you read the story. He's just trying to float. So, you know, all of these experts who look at it and say, oh, I don't know. Well, this, this is a Christian scholar in the 1600s who took a shot at the ark based upon the biblical dimensions. Jim, would you go to the next one? 
This artist drew uh, Noah's Ark in 1985, also a Christian scholar, taking what he had. And you don't have a ton, but you, ha- you do have the dimensions from the biblical data here. But I want to tell you that Noah's Ark was a major uh, center of a 1993 scientific study headed by Dr. Sion Hong, who, by the way, appeared to be an evolutionist. He had no axe to grind. He wasn't trying to prove the biblical account. But they studied holes of different proportions uh, to discover which design was most practical. No hole shape was found to, be, to significantly outperform the 4,300-year-old biblical design. In fact, the ark's careful balance is easily lost if the proportions are modified. This is from the Answers in Genesis website. Rendering the vessel either unstable, prone to fracture, or dangerously uncomfortable. The research team found that the proportions of Noah's ark carefully balanced the conflicting demands of stability, resistance from capsizing, comfort, sea-keeping, and strength. In fact, the ark has the same proportions as a modern cargo ship, close quote. So there's a guy named Johan, and he had a dream that the Netherlands was flooded. He lives in the area of Holland, and this dream really bothered him. So he undertook a uh, project. He was going to make a full-scale model of Noah's ark, and he did it. He did it by hand. He used 14,000 trees, him and five other workers, and it was a multi-year project. If Jim, would you go to the next slide? And this is Johan's Ark. Or, that's the next one. There it is. Johan's Ark. It actually is in the water in the Netherlands today. It's become a huge area where visitors are coming, little kids are coming, and it's piquing interest in the story of the flood. Just to look, up that, look at that giraffe. That's a, you know, not a real giraffe, but it gives you an idea of the scope and magnitude of the vessel. Go to the next one, Jim, if you would. That gives you some proportion there. That's the size from the biblical dimensions and, of course, you know, his own shapes and, and that kind of thing. This is what we're dealing with. A, 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 certainly a huge work of faith. And Noah preached, 2 Peter 2.5, he preached righteousness, and he chiseled away at the ark, and he built a work of faith. And I asked you last week, what ark is God calling you to build? That's the question. He says, you shall make a window, look at Genesis 6.16, so hard for the ark, and to finish it to a cubit, that's 18 inches, from the top, and set the door of the ark. There's only one door. It's the door of the ark and the side of it, and you shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. So there was a window. Many scholars believe the window went all around the top of the ark. You'd need a window with all those animals in the ark, wouldn't you? And uh, so he had a window, and he built the decks, and there was one door, one way to get into the ark. And Jesus in John 10:9 says, I am the door. Uh, by me, if any man enter, he shall be saved. And then Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one is coming to the Father except through me. I didn't say that. He said it. So any skeptic of Christianity has to wrestle with Jesus' exclusive statement. Is Jesus the only way to get on the ark and be saved? That's what he said. He said he's the door. He said he's the way. And God says, Behold, 17, I, even I, am bringing a flood. Mabul is the word for flood. It's a strong term. It in- indicates an unparalleled, cataclysmic nature of an event. I'm going to bring a flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is upon the earth shall perish. If it was a localized flood, why didn't God just say to Noah, pack a suitcase, and you and your family are going to go to the next neighboring country? If it was a localized flood, that would be the logical thing. It would be a lot less work, a lot less problems. But see, what we have here is a worldwide flood. 
and the planet bears remnants of that. You can see uh, things that are on the earth today. The Grand Canyon is one example of a cataclysm. There are people who say, well, there were layers, there were ages of the earth, and that's how things fossilized. But when Mount St. Helens blew up and the volcano blew up, in a couple weeks things were fossilized and looked like they had ages of layers and it happened in a couple of weeks. The Bible says there was a cataclysm. Jesus says there was a flood. Jesus says there was a Noah. So does Peter. And the question you've got to ask with all the so-called experts is, who are you going to believe? And Jesus said, just as it was in the days of Noah, it's going to be that same way before the coming of the Son of Man. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as King forever. Psalm 29, 10 and 11. May the Lord give strength to His people. May the Lord bless His people forever. These are the words of Jesus. He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts upon them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house. And remember the ark was a floating uh, house with a sign, if you will. He's like a man who dug deep and laid a foundation upon the rock. And when a flood rose, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house upon the ground with any foundation, without any foundation. The torrent or the flood burst against it and immediately it collapsed and the ruin of that house was very great. That's Luke 6, 46 through 49. The flood is coming, Noah. Build an ark for the sake of your family, for the salvation of your house. But God says, but I will establish my covenant with you, verse 18, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. What was the part of the covenant that belonged to Noah. They call this the Noahic covenant. What was Noah's part? What did he have to do? Well, he did have to build the ark, but once the ark was done, here's the covenant. All he had to do was get on board. Your part in the new covenant is very similar. You just got to get on board. The ticket's been punched. It's been signed in the blood of the Lamb, but you got to climb on board the ark to be saved. That's your participation in the new covenant. Certainly God wants you to follow. Certainly He has works of faith for you to do. But you're part of the covenant. And covenant is berit in Hebrew. It means to cut. In the Hebrew picture language, it means the sign of the cross or the sign of my son. And here it is. The ark is a sign. It's a picture of Jesus. And of every living thing, look at verse 19, of all flesh you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you, and they shall be male and female. Verse 20. Of the birds after their kind. This reminds me of the early uh, chapters of Genesis, after their kind. Of the animals after their kind. Of every creeping thing of the ground after its kind. Two of every kind shall come to you to keep them alive. Some people say, well, how, do those, how did that, Noah get all those animals? Well, they came to him. How many of you seen Evan Almighty? You remember when all the animals are coming to him and it's a problem for his own personal life? <laughs> Where are they coming from? Well, that's what happened. God put something in the animals. Maybe they sensed that the flood was coming. Maybe it was God's Spirit pushing them or nudging them along. Maybe a combination of both. But the animals started to show up right before the flood came. Can you imagine that? That would have been a pretty cool experience. And Noah got to experience that. He was to take two of every kind. It's going to say seven in the next chapter of clean animals. That probably is for sacrifice and so forth. But for now, it's two of every kind and they're going to come to you. And people say, well, how could he fit all those animals on the ark? Remember, there, there's variations within species. So you basically had the basic species coming onto the ark. Noah had lived hundreds of years before this happened. He's pretty smart. 
He could have taken babies. And God's the one that drew the animals to him. Babies eat less and sleep longer. All he really needed was a pink one and a blue one. Here's another thing. I stole that from Dr. Dino, by the way. Here's another thing. Animals, some animals have the ability to hibernate. So they can hibernate in the winter and basically sleep without food and do that. Some of them can actually do it in the summer. And there are some uh, experts, scientists, who say they believe in every animal there's a latent ability to hibernate. I believe that's true of some humans as well. It's just my personal opinion. Anyway, yeah. (laughs) You may know somebody like that. I don't know. And they'll come to you and you are to keep them alive. And so all these animals came. And Noah is doing that work of faith, building and planning. And as for you, take for yourself some of all the food, all food which is edible. Gather it to yourself and it shall be food for you and for them. And here's the final verse. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. So he did. Let me ask you, Bible students, have you heard Noah say anything? There's not, he has not said one word. The, there's no dialogue going back and forth. We have no record of Noah, Noah asking the Lord to have mercy or to extend the time, although we know he preached. But here's what we got. God said, do this, do this. And Noah said, Lord, what's next? Lord, what's next? Got that. Lord, what's next? That's faith. That's obedience. That's what you and I, when we place ourselves in the biblical story, must be asking, yes, Lord. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? Yes, Lord, what's next? Give me your list. I call you Lord and Master. I want to do what you say. And that's what Noah did. God commanded, Noah did. That's a disciple. That's a work of faith. That's what it means to be someone who calls Jesus Lord. You're not going to do it perfectly. You're not going to be uh, without your struggles. But as I mentioned earlier, I don't think people are expecting you to be perfect. But you can have a witness from being consistent. And we're about to move into a time at the Lord's table. And we're going to remember that ark of salvation that Jesus has granted us. I'm going to ask the ushers to go ahead and get the communion elements ready. But I want to end with a story that's germane to what I'm talking about. I heard Alistair Begg tell the story. He said, uh, and I believe this man called Alistair. He said, I was a, a man working at this company. I had a group of friends, a group of buddies at this company. And we partied together. And this guy was known as the life of the party. And he became a Christian. He'd been a Christian for about a year. And the, the buddies in the office were ribbing him and giving him a hard time. But he was growing in his faith. These men used to frequent what's called a gentle, gentleman's club which is a misnomer. It's not a place for gentlemen. And so a Friday afternoon came and the buddies said, hey, we're going to the club. We're going to the place. Come on, come on. And he said, no, I don't do things like that anymore. And they went, oh, yeah, okay, holy Joe. (laughs) You're going to go to Bible study, huh? Bible study. (laughs) And off they went. And the guy felt pretty crushed. So the weekend came and he got a telephone call, I think that next day. And one of those three friends called him and said, I want to know why you don't go to those places. I just found out that my wife and I are going to have a baby girl. I want to know why you don't go to those places. What you need to know about people who are around you is we all put on facades, we all smile and laugh, but we all got to go home alone and look ourselves in 
Look at our face in the mirror. We all got to face our own mortality. We all got to face the external and internal witness of the God of the Bible speaking to us all the time about who He is. You see, everybody's got to deal with life ultimately with those big questions. And you become a Noah for them. You become a witness of that ark of salvation. And the question is, how are we doing with that? I know this congregation is filled with many wonderful, precious people. I know you're taking your faith seriously. And I know you want to lead others to those green pastures and those beautiful still waters. This is our time. This is our time, you guys. God's given us this incredible building. He's given us a neighborhood to witness to. He's given us spheres of influence and platforms in our lives. This is our time. I ask you, are you making the most of it? If you can answer yes, if you knew Jesus was going to come back tonight and you could say, I wouldn't change a thing in my life, then you're good. But if you look at your heart and you say, no, right now I'm a prodigal. No, I'm not walking in the gifts God gave me. Man, I've, I've had those gifts on the shelf for decades. Then I, I would just say to you, this story is intended to say, get back in the game. This is your time. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for the work of faith that you have done in our midst. So awesome to see how beautiful and holy and wonderful you are and how loving you are. Even though you are just and holy and the Bible says you will judge sin, yet you judged that sin on your son at the cross. You made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Lord, as we approach your table, we... We remember you. We remember how you came, how you were born on that Bethlehem night, how you grew and you knew no sin, how you opened your public ministry at the Jordan River. You had come to fulfill all righteousness because we failed. You never sinned. Then you went to that cross as though you had committed all of our collective sins. The sky grew dark and the earth quaked, signs of judgment. And you said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? People have often said you were forsaken so that we wouldn't be. You experienced being forsaken, at least those feelings, so that we might be made whole again. You are our kafar, you are our covering, you are, your blood cleanses from all sin. And if we're Christians, we're in the ark and we're so grateful to have a seat, <laughs> so grateful to have a room. We want to take others with us, Lord. We think of our families. We think of prodigal children and wayward relatives and people we've been praying for. And we, we can see their faces, Lord. And we ask you to give us more opportunity to witness. And maybe that'll just be, it'll continue to be our lives. But whatever opportunities you give us, Lord, help us to maximize those. With your head and heart bowed, if you've not met Jesus Christ, run to that ark of salvation. He's a prayer away. He's paid the price. you just got to get on board. The Bible teaches repentance and faith, so with your head and heart bowed, if you want to turn from your sin and turn to Him, it's something like this. I would encourage you to pray it out loud right now. This is your time. Jesus, come into my life. Thank you that you died on that cross for me and rose from the dead. I believe that you are God. I believe you paid the ransom for my sin. And I trust in you as my personal Lord and my Savior. Please change me. 
from the inside out. Cause me to be born again of your Holy Spirit, born from above. Write my name in your book of life. Lord, for those who are opening up their hearts, maybe for prodigals who are trying to put together a prayer, we know you honor a sincere cry of repentance. And so I pray that your living waters will shower this precious congregation. I pray for believers that may be going through some stuff right now, that as they come to your table, you'll refresh them, you'll strengthen them, you'll heal them, you'll encourage them, and increase our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you about a new book that has just come out that I've written. It's called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God, A Revealing Look at God's Armor. What this book is really about, it's written in a devotional style, and it's written to help you, the believer, to put on the full armor of God. One of the things that the armor of God speaks of is protection. And God has provided you armor to protect you against the typical ways that the enemy attacks. You have a belt of truth because the enemy is a liar. Each piece of armor is custom made to help you in the typical ways that the enemy attacks. Each piece of armor reflects God himself. He's the God of truth. He's righteous. He's the God of peace. All the pieces of the armor point to him. And they point to his provision to you, the believer, because he loves you. The reason God wants to protect you is because he's your father. He knows about the spiritual battle. He knows about the enemy. And he knows how you can be best protected and stand strong against temptation. Suit up, putting on the full armor of God. It's now available on Amazon. I want to get this book in your hands because I believe it's going to help you as a Christian to walk in strength, to know how to put on the armor daily, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, and to experience more victory in your Christian life. Right now you can get it on Amazon. It's Suit Up by Pastor Michael Lance. I would urge you to get the book today. If you want to give a donation directly to Living Truth Radio, send us an email and we'll get the book into your hands as our gift to you for a donation to the radio ministry. LivingTruthRadio.org is the radio website. Thank you for listening to Living Truth Radio. And, you know, when we're doing radio, folks, um, it's a little hard to tell who's listening. And we'd like to be able to uh, hear from our listening audience. And we're not asking for anything other than just drop us an email and let us know uh, if the program has been a blessing to you. We'd certainly like to hear from you. We're always looking how to best spend our stewardship dollars in terms of the ministry of radio. And so we'd like to know uh, how we're doing. And drop the email to office at livingtruthcorona.org. That's office at livingtruthcorona.org. And just let us know who you are and if you've been listening, if the program's been a blessing to you. That would really help us out, and that would be a blessing to us just to hear from some of our radio listeners. So again, drop an email to office at livingtruthcorona.org. Thank you so much for listening and praying for us and supporting us if you can. And we uh, are very appreciative of the body of Christ and pray that the Lord will bless you and your family. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. 
You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.